I'm Nicolene Berger and I'm Jana Fosler and this is Eret. Hello everyone and welcome to a, the second part of this episode on marriage and well not really marriage here we go again Jana and I made the mistake in the first part to talk about marriage for so long but we meant the wedding ritual and we did correct that later on in the podcast so we're, we're talking to Mandri Sutherland today who performed with me exactly a week ago we had a private performance at my house dealing with the white Afrikaans wedding ritual and it's a very special podcast today because Jana is going to from her perspective as an audience member ask us some questions to go a little bit deeper into the performative aspect of this topic but Mandri I'm going to ask you it's really special for us to have someone from the drama side the theater side it's our first guest that is an actress so to just maybe introduce yourself to our audience who are you where are you from what are you doing <laughs> um nicoline and yana thank you for this opportunity it's actually the first time i'm on a podcast so i feel honored i grew up in a little dorpie in Stanerton, pumalanga yeah i come from a really small town and then i made my way to Salambosh, which was a very big decision but i just knew that i had to come to cape town and then I studied drama at Stellenbosch University for three years. I am an actress and a voice artist, and I have a few side hustles that I do. But mainly, these are the things that I focus on, or I find it that that's my purpose. And the way that I express myself is in the arts. So, yeah, that's, that's me. Awesome. Um, welcome, Mandri, from my side. And... I lived for for a year or so in Mpumalanga, province of the rising <laughs> <Mpumalanga>. sun. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I I can understand why you wanted to come to Stellenbosch, but at the same time, it is a lovely place to stay. Just don't want to go back there. <laughs> we had our fair share. <laughs> so as Nicoline said, it is very special for me to be chatting. I mean. There's this kind of postmodern concept like the death of the author where, you know, when, when there's an artwork or an output, then the meaning is always kind of transferred beyond what the authors intend. But in this case, I can now actually speak to them and ask them questions where I know a lot of people after a performance, they want to go to them and ask like, but what, you did this one line and, and what do you mean? And um, I think it's, it's quite special to have that kind of follow-up engagement as an audience member for me today, at least. So um, in the previous episode, Nicoline and I were basically airing out all our thoughts about weddings and um, we would chat. You can, if you haven't listened to it yet. I've, I've actually listened to it. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> amazing <laughs> um and but for also for our audience if you haven't listened like maybe go listen to that one first and then listen to that this episode because that was kind of also a preparation in many ways for Nicoline before this performance piece so you both had a private performance I just want to give some overview to to our listeners that uh, we got a wedding invitation that looked very much like the traditional wedding invitation with a little geometric shape flowers all around it 
uh, we were asked to give a financial contribution. Unfortunately, the registry wasn't there, but it was very much as of being invited to a wedding ritual. We were asked that we leave our child and dogs at home. <laughs> and when we entered the space, it was, so it was the way, the, the performance was of Lilith and Lisbeth, right? Getting, having a wedding ceremony. And it was, in many ways, it felt like going to a COVID wedding, very intimate affair, having masks. And it was in, at Nicolene's home in Fishhook. So I know why Nicolene or Nicolene's intentions for this for this performance art piece, but I wanted to hear from you, Mandri, what was kind of your intention and why did you want to grapple with this theme of, of the kind of typical Afrikaner wedding? Sure, Jana. So I actually thought about it a little bit and it feels, sometimes it feels vague and then sometimes my intention feels quite clear. But I think with this specific performance, I wanted to see what I can express through something that I experienced myself. So it was a very personal experience for me. Um, I, I was engaged and the wedding never happened. So I wanted to look at what my wedding day would be like. Yeah, so I think that is, and, and also how life performance almost infuses with life. Like for me, it was a very personal experience and somehow it really felt like it was my wedding day, but it wasn't. So it felt a little bit like the, like a cognitive dissonance of like, I, I know I'm doing art and I'm performing and it's a show that I wrote, but the underlying content is very real. No, definitely. I think with both of you, the, I mean, it was, a, let me just tell everyone, it was hilarious. Like the performance was so funny, so well written, um, but there were also very deep moments of reflection that came through and where you could see as an audience member, this really relates to something deeply personal as well. The thing is, Jana, um, now that you also say that, I think it actually comes from a deep-rooted anger. So the, the hilariousness of it, if I think back, I'm actually quite angry at these kind of traditions and the way that I was brought up. Not necessarily, I don't want to rant, but it, I think that's also, from, from, that's also from where I write. Like it actually comes from a, yeah, a deep sense of anger and frustration and like just, you know, being born into these structures and now actually having the chance to dissect it and to... Yeah, to use comedy as a way of actually dealing with it. that's a very good point to bring in with the the anger emotion because it is a frustrating ritual and I think something that reflected that to me was afterwards when I spoke to some of the other audience members they also said it's interesting how this is a performance art piece but in many ways a wedding ceremony is actually also a performance art piece and you would think that this is now two, two artists who really grapple with it, have, you know, make a social commentary on what we sometimes take for granted. That's just like the way a wedding should go. But at the same time, being part of your ceremony was equally triggering to some people where something of that anger and that like uh, expectation on getting married is still there, even if, you know, it's only a performance. So that was really interesting to me how those emotions also got translated in similar ways, which, which some people might not have anticipated. It was quite funny in the beginning and, and, and from the, the, the responses I got afterwards, 
of people said, yeah, it was so funny and they could really identify, but I really think at the end with Nicolene, with your speech, how you brought, you actually brought it together in such a beautiful way by contrasting the conservativeness and, but also the, the, the alternativeness and how people can really deal and understand that because I think that's where we, where I'm actually battling with it. Like, how do those two worlds meet? Mm. Because they they can't actually meet. And why are we forcing them? Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And for me, it was really interesting. Just I'm reflecting now while we're talking that this humor piece of the characters in the beginning, we created some of the very conservative characters that you definitely find at a wedding. So like Wim Fawn, who was representing the Dumini at the wedding, is a, it's a minister, right? In English. And then, and, and then we had these alternative figures as well, which you find at more open-minded in quotation marks weddings. And what's interesting about these characters is almost everything we did and said was exactly what you'd experienced there. And we literally just dialed it like, one one little dial to the extreme just one and that made it almost over the top immediately because these characters are already like Jana said performing at a wedding the the wedding planner the pastor the or the facilitator or some sometimes they call it the the ceremony holder these people come into the space of the wedding ritual for the first time for the entire community so their role is already kind of blown up and it was super easy to then just like add just a little bit more and then it was over the top and kind of say the things that are not being said at a wedding which is really freeing to me I think that's one thing that was uh, that I experienced about this humor piece because we were laughing and because we were really playing into these characters and it was really like taking them over the top and really like and moving into the body and like really expressing and it felt like a release because I think a lot that's not said at weddings which adds to this chargedness of it and the seriousness of it was released for me Um, and I could actually I feel a little bit more relaxed when I think about it. I can identify Nicolene a huge release (laughs) yeah so there must be some power in performance I guess. Yes absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, that relates actually to what I also wanted to ask you because when I got married, a question that that was posed to me was, do you feel it? Does it feel different now? You know, like how has things changed? And that's also kind of what I wanted to ask you is like you said now, you mentioned now that this was a cathartic type of performance releasing certain, you know, emotions like anger or frustration or longing even. Mm-hmm. for a ritual for performing the ritual and mm-hmm. i'm curious to know like did that that performance of the ritual do you feel something has changed or do you feel like you you still grapple with the the thoughts you had before the ritual in the same way so it definitely feels that there is some sort of release like there's a there's a coming home there's a a part of me that trusts myself more because at the time when I broke the engagement, it almost felt like I had no, I had no view of the world outside of it. Like when, when I left that part, it was like, it was the end of the world because there's no alternative way. And somehow as the years passed, I feel that, yeah, that, that, it, that it's actually not the end of the world. And that I am almost becoming the spokesperson for myself, but maybe also to other people. So this is more understandable. 
and that there are some alternative ways. I would just like to mention like the, the dress that I wore was my matric farewell dress. So that for me also had a lot of baggage attached to it, like symbolic baggage. So the, I deliberately used that dress and I've sewn some materials on it. And like just the process up to the performance, it was also this meditation of every stitch and working that dress and also knowing that because I didn't actually know at the end of the, of the piece that I'm going to cut it up. It was only at the end that I told Nicolene, I think I'm actually not getting married because we didn't really have an end. So it actually fit quite well of me deciding not to get married and not to actually be part of this traditions. So yeah, I actually feel good. I think just not having that dress anymore or that thing in my house that symbolizes a lot of my baggage and the way that I was thinking about things. So it feels like quite a lot, but I hope it makes sense. It does um, make sense. Yeah, I, I think for myself on the night, Jana also jokingly asked me, so do you feel different now after your wedding? Um, and on the night itself, it, it I felt extremely exhausted and very overwhelmed because performance what was just amazing to me again is performance is very sacred to me because it pulls me into the present, like to the most extreme bodily way. So I was from the Sunday before the performance, I felt like I was extremely, extremely present, but also like I was going through some kind of, which I would imagine would feel like if you go through a kind of initiation ritual, um, because you know this thing is coming and you know something is supposed to change and you know that all these people are coming to witness you in your change. But on the night itself, I just felt extremely exhausted. And then I had this process of debriefing and Monday and I spoke a few times and Jana and I spoke again before this, before, um, this recording. And what I realized was that I'm still unsure how a potential wedding ritual for myself would look. I spent some time with my family this weekend and I was really observing when they were all together, like I'm still not sure how everyone would fit together. But at least now I've said this out loud to an audience, to a group. I've, I've said, I don't know what this would look like if my partner and I decided to one day have a ceremony. And, and now I feel like it's okay because I could speak my truth in one space. So it's almost like we created this little safe space for us to speak our truth mm. so that whatever we need to do for the community or for the partnership or whatever, you know, whatever comes in the real world after this, it's all right because at the end of the performance, Mandri and I took a moment to really speak our truth and really get vulnerable and really say what we needed to say about getting married. So I feel like something about this performance allowed me to take ownership again of the decision because I already kind of had a quote unquote wedding now, you know, already like, what do I mean? I already joked around, mocked a little bit. Yes, I already mocked this this ceremony that I was so scared it was going to happen if I did not integrate all these parts of myself. The part that it has a little bit of the conservative side that used to have a flip file with wedding dresses. The part that now cringes for that part, which is the alternative, like a little bit of dark, cynical artist. And then the part that's now spiritual and understands rituals and ceremonies. So there are all of these parts and through the performance, I felt like I could integrate them a little bit and now I feel like I can take ownership <laughs> if that makes sense 
Nicolene, just I'm just thinking about it now. So it's very easy actually to to almost continue with the mocking, like mm. things that we don't like and we don't want it like this and we joke about that. But now I'm actually thinking maybe for a next performance, how would it actually look like if we can just be free in it? Because I don't want to go on mocking. Mm. You know, that almost feels for me like we also have to give birth to a new self like mm. I think and that is why this performance was so precious because mm. I can feel that there was this charge release mm. which is actually you know the first time or it was, I think because it was so personal it, it had such a big a big impact well, on me. Well, maybe because before the new self for me can be birthed, at least there's a few other things I need to mock because there's so much about the Afrikaans culture that I still feel a charge about. So maybe we have like this series, this series of charged performances and then this series of birthing the new self because we were just thinking about like the, the christening after the wedding, you know, or, or starting your new home together, you know, all the decisions that needs to happen in the house and like everyone being involved in that process. We actually have so much more to work with. So much content. And it's so funny. I mean, it's, I'm so thankful for this Afrikaner culture, but also at the other end, oh my goodness. <laughs> That's fascinating. Like, I just want to quickly come back to Mandri, what you said about your matric farewell dress, because that also, it's almost like as a contemporary I guess it doesn't just count for Afrikaans people, but or Afrikaner, white Afrikaner people. But it's funny for me, the matric farewell, it's almost like people view it as your first initiation is that matric farewell. And then the next one is the wedding. Like those two dresses will probably be the most important in dress your life. in your life. And um, thinking back of, about like also the amount of money people, like how ridiculous a lot of the matric farewell rituals are, especially with that early transition, transition into womanhood um, in brackets. So I found it so interesting to find out that cutting that dress wasn't planned because it, it seems so planned, but I think there is something to be said of what you both achieved in this performance of almost like unshackling those expectations mm-hmm. that are that are put upon you and I guess like what you're saying about mock, mocking it I was also thinking about that because for me personally what I reflected on was you know when I went through the the ritual I also felt like yeah I, I tried to think of like how can I be critical of something but also not mock some of your own intentions and processes that maybe were uh, subverting it in a diff- from a different angle taking taking a different way of trying to challenge those rituals kind of internally also like this like the tearing of the dress like how you it's almost like a process of erosion like you take apart certain pieces from the inside even you like keeping some of the structures of the wedding that that kind of tricks people into into playing into it and then when there's things different it it can really trigger some thoughts so i think in a way people who get married unconsciously also participate in a mockery. It's not just your performance. I think there's something to be said of some of these wedding rituals is almost self-deprecating to a certain extent because we also, it's it's humorous. As you said, there's awkward moments 
in between where the Dominic doesn't really know what's happening and he makes the weird jokes and those uncomfortable parts of the ceremony, that is part of the, the typical. I mean, afterwards, people always talk of after a wedding, like, oh, shit, that was awkward. And you can see the tension between that family member. And so, yeah, that was interesting for me to observe. It actually just frightens me now when you just said it again, like the wedding rituals. Do we really understand what it's all about? Like cutting the cake. Like, I don't think you go through that before you get married. Yes, you go for your wedding counseling and your sessions with the duomini. But when do we ever actually talk about these rituals? Mm. That's mm. scary for me. Like, mm. but no, it's I, very much happening. Mm. And if you don't have that, that's the structure. So throwing the garter, the veil, what is it? <laughs> I, I really don't think um, most people, I mean, I, don't, I can't really say this, but I'm just wondering how many people really goes into this and educates themselves before they actually participate in their own wedding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wonder. I think also on the, on the theme of the, of the mocking or the critically looking at things, for me it was... Uh, a very deep process of going to identify within myself the parts that was not conscious, who did not examine, kind of just took things the way that they are, like who I who I actually was until I I was I think sixteen. So just accepting everything that was taught to me, and then the process of kind of really violently pushing that aside and kind of establishing my own identity, and now starting to understand that those parts that I pushed away they're still in me sometimes they're the ones that when I'm at a wedding I kind of project this desire for security and safety and acceptability on the ritual they're the parts mm. of me that that judge people that kind of maybe jump from relationship to relationship and I don't do this consciously it's a part of me that I've suppressed that comes out and that I then try to give some airtime in this performance I'm essentially mocking myself in the in the in the performance but also mocking this is what I also explain to some of my friends that that are in the spiritual world and that do do spiritual teachings because I was a little bit afraid that we were going to trigger them as well. And there was mm. a Germany at the performance as well. So afterwards I was like, oh my God, did we trigger him as well? So I was just like, this is so, this is such a triggering performance. Let me just like explain a bit what I was thinking. But mainly it was like all of these parts in me. So how would the kukereche conservative one look at the one that is now all of a sudden spiritual? And what would she think about her? And how would she perceive, perceive her? And the other way around, how would the one that's spiritual and interested in ceremony and all of these things now perceive the duomini at a wedding like this? So it was these different parts of myself and the judgments and the projections onto them which came out in the performance. It wasn't really based on anyone in reality. It is an internal process because I think our own judgments and the way that we partake in these ceremonies says a lot about our own projections and our own expectations. And that the feminist wedding can sometimes, and I'm doing quotes because what is that even? But the feminist wedding can also sometimes be a reaction to something that you are suppressing within yourself or or kind of like a and in Yana, you know, you went through this entire process because it is a gewaar worden. It is a, a it is an initiation of your identity and, and, and a 
place to find that expression. So it's not that simple. It's not yeah. that simple, but I also think for me is I respect people who still choose that. So it's not as if I'm against it. I think it's more just for myself. And if mm. somebody can relate to that, mm. it's a very personal thing. Mm. And I mean, ultimately it is about the companion that you choose. So, I mean, that's, there is some, it's beautiful to me. It's maybe it's just something that I haven't completely figured out. Mm. Yeah. And also the necessity of it, which is, well, what is the alternative? Mm. I relate so much with uh, what you both just said, because I definitely also felt that like, self-judgment and like even seeing myself like judge it's like you go to this the tannies who go to a little party with their cook and you just want to skin it about everything because <laughs> i definitely also have found myself judging all these other people and their weddings and it is it is a question of why are we so yeah why do we struggle so much to reconcile some of those internal emotions and project it onto each other but then at the same time i do think that the ceremonies project something towards you as well because every time you participate in something you reinforce that norm of like this is what the fairy tale looks like or this is what the ceremony looks like so there's also something to be said for when people choose to perform like the cutting the cake and the garter they are also communicating something of a norm and how it should be and I think that's maybe where the anger comes from of like but why like what are you really saying when you when the most special thing is for your dad to walk you down the aisle and give you away and why do you take your partner's surname and there's a lot of anger and like why do especially like internally towards women like why are you why are you continuing this thing um so i think from all sides there's that anger frustration i mean you're welcome to add more to that but i also wanted to ask you more about the performance art aspect of it like you are both artists in your own right and it this was during COVID, so I, maybe can you reflect a bit about what it felt like to just perform again in this space? Oh, Jana, I was, I was so hungry for performance. I can't, I can't tell you. So, I mean, I, I've done theatre at Boerdfeers last year. Was it last year? No, no the year before that. Mm. So then I just said, Nicolene, we should really do something. And then we came up with this house concert idea. And it happened so quickly. Yes, COVID and no opportunities and theatres that are closed. Like, that is really a real thing. And I must say, as, as a theatre actress, it's quite unlikely for us to not perform in a theatre. Or it's a little bit frowned upon. Like, no, you can't do it in a house or any other setting because the convention is a theatre. So for me, I just thought I want to challenge this because what does it actually mean? We have the story and it actually doesn't matter where it's performed. It opened up a lot of possibilities for me and it felt like there was a vulnerability that comes with performing in a house and also to do it for like 30 people, which I found quite interesting that it actually worked and people enjoyed it so much. I think just putting it in another setting to say that we can actually do it at houses. The opportunities are there. We don't have to be in theaters and big spaces in, um, for us to, you know, translate our stories. So for me, it was a very happy moment in my life to realize that this is an opportunity. I'm very much like, I believe if 
an artwork comes to me, intuitively pops into my head, it needs to be created. And if I'm going to sit around and wait for someone else to say, hey, do you have an idea? Here's some support, let's do it. I might sit around forever. Not necessarily, but it might be so. So I have always created, especially my performance art, I've just created it. So when, when COVID started, I created video pieces that I saw in the format of video pieces. And then I created a performance series with um, Lumkile and it was on Zoom. And then I started feeling a little bit Zoom fatigue and I started missing that element of live art, which is where I come from, where the interactions between the artist and the audience is extremely important um, because it's in that collaboration and in that open-endedness because live art, you don't plan. You, you are talking about the performance and you sketch it between you and your collaborator or between you and the curator or just in your mind. And then from the moment that you start performing, everything is important and happens in the moment that's why it's live art so if someone walks into the space that you're performing in and they start screaming or they start judging you or maybe they start crying or maybe they start performing with you that is all that is supposed to happen so for me that rawness and then interaction with the with the audience has always been an extremely vital and important part of my performance art pieces so the natural next step was to then okay let's create a performance space where it is contained because of the pandemic normally it'll happen in public in a station train station in a centrum on a plane somewhere in the public but let's see if we control the audience and we still play with that element of interaction what will happen and it was extremely rewarding to me because I used to do drama in school and performed. And I always actually kind of secretly had a dream. I wanted to also act and be an actress. But in terms of creating my own performance pieces, they're always kind of these open-ended, very visceral, interactive with the audience pieces. Mm -hmm. So to have a text was a challenge for me because the only other piece I've ever done like this was in South Korea, where I wrote an entire piece in Afrikaans and performed it to the audience in Afrikaans. And it was also very like, almost like childlike performance, very animated for the audience to stick with me. And I purposefully did it in Afrikaans because to me it was a, the first public performance where I really processed what it means to have relatives that are racist. So I, that was always a very vulnerable piece for me. And I thought I'd never do this kind of like speaking performance in South Africa because it, it's extremely vulnerable. And then Manri came along and she's like, let's do something. And the only thing that makes sense in terms of authenticity is to actually perform a piece in Afrikaans. So very long answer to say that it was extremely rewarding. It was, what is the word that I'm looking for? Added to my aliveness. It made me feel alive. It made me feel seen and received. And the fact that 30 people showed up and asked for more <laughs> is super, it's just amazing. Sorry for that ramble. <laughs> no, Nicoline, but I must also say that you were also the, that's catalysator. Catalyst. So the catalyst, I have experience in live performance art where I perform on the streets, where it's very much just whatever happens on the street. And then kind of, we both kind of moved into a new way. Yes, definitely. Like the theater, theater part where we actually have a text, but also having the improvisation as part of it. Yes. So it was an interesting combination. And to trust that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Um, no, but it was awesome to see these two. Yeah, it's almost like an interdisciplinary performance. And what I found interesting, and this is just on the topic of like COVID and supporting the arts, because I've been at two, one or two COVID weddings. And I guess that's the only like big function event that I've been at since the pandemic. And it's interesting that I think the fact that it was a wedding ceremony and well, like I'm, I'd be curious to know the, because obviously it was a pay, you had to pay for the performance as you pay for art, which is an important thing to reward artists and actresses. Um, so I'd be curious to hear, like, how easy is it for people to spend money on like a Yappie Chef voucher and there's almost this expectation that if you think about the value of art, but like a value of like what you give for a wedding is almost like, but you people would easily maybe pay like 400, 500 rand gift as a wedding. And it, yeah, so that was also just an observation of like teaching people to like also value these type of performances financially. Um, I don't know. Do you have any reflections on that? Yeah. So if I may go, so I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say any names, but I had a very interesting conversation the morning after with, <laughs> with someone and this person asked me, so how much did you ask for the ticket? And I said, well, we ask so much. And she said, oh, and did they pay that? And my first thought was, oh my goodness, what do you mean? Did they pay that? And that's the mentality of festivals. Like tickets are actually... I feel so underpriced and, and, and what's the reason for that? Mm -hmm. So part of this thing is, and we, me and Nicolene went through it. We said, Oh, we're going to do it on a donation basis. And then I said, no, we're not. We actually not. We're going to ask a proper amount, like what we feel it's worth. And I think part of it is to educate the audience and everyone around us of what it's worth. And it is our responsibility. Yeah. And we actually have to get on the same page. It doesn't, it doesn't help that we ask so much, but then another house concert happens and they well under, or we really have to give worth to this kind of thing. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that word worth, because this is where it links to me a lot in the work that I do as a creativity coach. I work a lot with creators on the worth topic and it's because it was a whole process and is still a process for me is like what what is your work actually worth and what people sometimes don't understand as creative specifically because something comes naturally to you it doesn't mean that you should undercharge for it because you might feel like it's it's such a natural skill it flows out of me like I said this performance had to happen and just because I am convinced that it needs to happen doesn't mean that I can't um, actually earn from it. It is work. We, we spent three months preparing for this and then we spent two days preparing the space and then we spent at least a week afterwards actually returning back to reality after performing. So holding that kind of space and energy takes a lot and especially when it's an exclusive event because now it's also limited to the amount of people that can come and it is a process of, of kind of seeing who in your audience sticks to the commitment they made to support you in the in this process and who shows up but also to understand that as artists you are adding value to the people that come um, to their lives you are giving pleasure so to me it's often I, I whenever I feel a little bit insecure about charging for something or I'm not sure if people will pay for it I'm like okay so if someone goes out on a Friday night 
How much do they spend for dinner, for drinks, for entertainment maybe? And that is spent very easily. So if people start understanding that, that that is the same, you are paying for pleasure, you are paying for an experience and you are paying two people to continue in this life for them to create magic and their, their dreams. You are adding to someone's dream. So, um, But I also feel that there's a deep underlying insecurity as well. Yeah. Because why we feel that so normally what you have is when you have a theater piece, you would it would be for a festival or something. And then sometimes your piece is not chosen. Mm. So it's actually taking life and responsibility into our own hands and saying, we as artists actually have the capacity. We, it, it's, it's not a thing of not performing or something's not to be chosen. Like that's why I also feel that this really opens up a whole new world. And I hope that people will latch onto it. I actually know that there's another artist, Gemma Khan. She's also doing house concerts. And I think it's brilliant. Actually in, yeah, in flats, not even like big houses. So Yeah. Another thing, just on the topic of, of artists and doing what you need to do because it gives you life. But like, I mean, and that's what I mean, vitality. I mean, healthy as an artist. It's always healthy to express your creativity and not sit around and wait. But I also know that most of the, most of the um, successful artists that I look at as expanders, meaning expanding my subconscious to believe that things are possible. So my expanders all have the sense of audacity. They, they're not waiting around for anyone to write a review about them that gives them the authority to create something. They just do it. And they believe that it's good enough and it's worth something because it's enough that they show up. It's enough that they're creating. So I believe that and hope that we also through this step into this vulnerable space of creating yeah. something just for ourselves, inspire people with a sense of audacity. And I was actually inspired at a wedding. I met this musician that is also surviving in COVID. And the way that they're doing it is they, they created this concept called drive-by jukebox where you order a meal in Greiten you order a meal and then divine is his name divine marare and i can't remember the other artist's name but he's part of used to be part of freshly ground they arrive with the food and they do a performance for you they sing and serenade you while you eat and this is i thought it was such a, a innovative solution to the problem of not being able to perform in big venues with a lot of people so i think that that covid has made us more creative not less creative yeah, it, it definitely does seem like the future of performance is changing. And I think both of you play a part in making that happen in South Africa. Like, what do you think, like, what what is next for you? Like, I feel like there's a lot, as you said earlier, like, I want to tell everyone, like, exactly what happened at the performance, because I don't think people understand, like, how amazing it was. Partake. Can we just take a moment to speak about the cake thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you want to tell us, tell us your experience um, of the cake. Because I just want to, like, I know we've kind of drifted away from it, but I feel like we have to talk about it. And like with the dresses and all those almost props that were part of the performance, that's part of the wedding ritual. But what Mandri and Nicolene did is when it came to the ritual of snaying the cook, of cutting the cake, Nicolene got, so the one thing that was great is there was actually cake and drinks included in the ticket price so <laughs> it was actually a bargain <laughs> when it came to cutting the cake Ma Nicoline got on the table 
lying down and Mandri put little, it was those like typical Delft plates and Mandri put a plate of cake on each of Nicolene's chakras. And um, <laughs> for those I do a lot of, Nicolene can maybe give us an overview of what chakras is for those who don't know, because um, I'm an amateur, but I realized it and then people had to go take off their own plate because Mandri made it very explicit that it's not her responsibility as a cake cutter to now serve everyone at her own ceremony. But it was so funny, like everyone standing around and having to engage with Nicoline's body and she had, <laughs> uh, you know, the cake slipped off of some parts and Nicoline really had to like keep her grip. So those type of things like really sticked and uh, it became such a memorable moment yeah so can you maybe just tell me a little bit more about those moments and why you chose those specific rituals and how did you go about creating them and maybe what what other rituals that you didn't include would you like to touch on in a future performance so i think it was quite it it was quite a normal process or it felt like a very streamlined process me and nicolene when we whenever we met up we just made this list and we kind of just went for the rituals that were uh, popping out for us but I must say that the cutting of the cake was one of my personal favorites because obviously we had our text and we rehearsed it and Nicolene bought the cake and we cut it beforehand but I didn't know that it was, that it was going to play out like that <laughs> so and it felt quite awkward at one stage for me because I said everything that I needed to say and then I said, well, people then come have some cake and people were so awkward. So, and then that's where improvisation comes in, yeah. where you also realize as a performer that this is super awkward. People don't know what to do. I'm done with my part. And then almost filling the gaps and cake slipping from Nicolene's base chakra was... <laughs> part of the it being awkward one of our guests afterwards reflected to me that he was quite irritated by the fact especially with the cutting the cake now he said like now I'm going to go stand in a line and have to wait for my sticky cook and it's so awkward why is it so awkward it's a performance and then he realized that this is what it's like when you are at a wedding there are these awkward gaps where everything is so scripted and planned out but then you have to go stand in line and get your food and then the tunny behind you starts whipping up a conversation with you as if she's known you forever and you feel awkward and out of place but the fact that Yana like you said not knowing what a chakra is that was kind of part of it chakras are just, just energy, energy points in your body but it was on purpose that we that we kind of chose these words and things that people don't necessarily understand within the context of a wedding to kind of bring in the, the alternative subverting part. But when Monday and I sat with cutting the cake, we, we spoke about how visceral the experience actually is. I don't know if visceral is the right word. I think maybe um, sensory, the experience, mm -hmm. sensual, the experience actually sensual. is. Yeah. Sensual is the word I'm looking for because, um, the 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 bride and the groom cut the cake and then they have to they have to serve it to, to each other and you, if you think of any other kind of reference we have of people serving things to each other in movies it's 
strawberries and chocolate or whipped cream you know there's a very sexual element to it and we played a lot with the sexual undertone of weddings because it's something that is not spoken outright but it's there you know everyone thinks that because they're at the wedding of two young people now if, if even if it's not young people they're kind of part of this ritual so they can now make jokes and say things that they normally won't so there's this sexualized undertone of a wedding that's not outright spoken, which we wanted to make very apparent. And cutting the cake was part of that, that everyone is now kind of part of, even if we don't have the, the wedding bed ritual anymore, where the entire congregation went up to the wedding room and, and witnessed or at least waited until the, part, the, the man smeared blood on the curtain to prove that the, the wife was a virgin. Even though we don't have that anymore, that that sexual undertone is very much still there yeah that was brilliant it was it was such a good thing that you made that apparent because the other thing that was so brilliant and i and i only heard afterwards that it was scripted is there was a there was a comment from the uh, one audience member i think it was olivia uh mm. when as as nicoline kind of went up the staircase uh after the the ceremony she was like nobody do it macy or something like that i can't remember the exact line but it was so funny of that expectation of the sexual encounter and then producing children and then just the thing of automatically going through the next step but not really considering like what these people actually want in their lives and you know what are their personal values and just that that kind of assumption that's placed onto you and also your body so yeah that was that was absolutely brilliant the way you did it she Thank she you, shouted Laura. see you at the christening in afrikaans that's what it means yeah i just wanted to translate yeah, sorry, that thanks for internationals. <laughs> yeah because that's that is something that is often said at afrikaans weddings so when when can we expect the first ball yeah. yeah when's the first one coming yeah it's a mouthful before we go over into last thoughts Mjana you asked about which rituals we couldn't include it and Mandri and I when we sat with that list of content the first time we met we were like oh my goodness we don't have to do anything there is so much content the we had to leave things out we didn't throw the garter we didn't throw the bouquet we didn't do the first dance we didn't do the kiss there's all of these elements of the wedding that we we couldn't get to because there's actually so much to unpack so i just wanted to mention that there was quite a lot we didn't do because like manri says and this is something i got from working with her which i think is so funny and special it's a lot hey it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot hey <laughs> But so just for like, for, for future prospects, I think that, well, I don't think, I know that we will be performing this specific um, performance at a few more houses. So that's it for now. I think we'll maybe change it up a little bit and flesh it out, which I think would be nice and maybe necessary because we're also going into other type of communities, not just people in our own vicinity. 
I don't know. I think we'll we'll create something magical again after this. Yeah, if you have a if you have a big house and an audience that would enjoy something, it needs to be an audience of around thirty people. We do not perform for less than thirty. But if you think that you can get together a group of thirty people and have a venue for us, then we might even consider to come perform at your house. Someone has contacted us that wants us to do that for them. So maybe this is the format that it's going to take on. That we're going to be traveling with this way performance for a bit but there's already a lot brewing inside me I'm just thinking about the rituals around serving food um, in a white oh Afrikaans goodness, home please. you know so we might work with that dinner for one concept but the Afrikaans version of it or like like Yana said when the first child arrives and kind of the rituals around that and I'm even thinking um, maybe we can go back in time instead of forward and maybe do a Matrikovskite, um, something like that. But, <laughs> but private performances, I'm really, really excited about it. And um, our house in Fishuk, we are calling it House of Bliss. We're going to have quite a few events here um, in terms of musicians performing and maybe doing more performance art here. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot coming in the future. That's very exciting, Nicolene. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, me too. It was so great being able to just debrief with you and you know chat about your experiences of like this performance exactly a week ago so yeah please feel free to share any last thoughts or closing ideas but uh, i just wanted to say again it was such a pleasure to to be one of your audience members and i can't wait to see what's next thank you yana yeah thank you yana um it's been real and thank you also feels like it's shared a lot like it's quite vulnerable but uh, but it's necessary yeah thank you for being so vulnerable and i know it's for the both of you it's a very personal thing so i think it's really refreshing to to hear that type of vulnerability yeah and and thank you Mandri, for being willing to talk and debrief um with us if there's anyone that actually attended our performance that's also listening to this episode and want to debrief further and you maybe have some thoughts please feel free to share it in the comments with us it's really nice when these kind of performances start a conversation and this is also something that i noticed on the night after the performance people lingered for quite a while because there was a sense of needing to debrief and talk about it so mm. we are here for that and really keen to hear your thoughts and your input on this experience and also maybe some other topics that you would love us to explore maybe mm-hmm. you could even give us some ideas for performances things that you think need to be kind of um, unpacked a bit in that space Um, but also we are excited to potentially in the future right after a performance have Yana around with the mic asking questions so that's even even more raw and not a week delayed that might be something we're doing in the future as well 